The um, the scripture says that they were stunned. The onlookers were stunned, and I'm I'm just curious as I think about this. What what were they stunned by? Were they stunned by the act of healing, or what Jesus said about God? We are starting a new series um, today, talking about um, forgiveness, and um, the reason for that is because it's the new year, and my guess is that. Um, there's probably some things you would like to not bring with you into the new year. And forgiveness is the way we do that. That, that if there's, uh, something that you would just as soon not carry with you for, you know, the next three months or six months or a year, um, the way you, the way you get rid of those things is by, is by letting them go or forgiving them. So, that's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about the, the idea of forgiveness today. Um, that, um, that what, what, what the, the scriptures teach us about uh, forgiveness. And so in order to do this, what I'd like you to do, um, and some of you will not be able to do this, but I'd like you, if you can, to imagine somebody who has offended you. Okay. And <laughs> some of us, some of us float above the rest, but imagine, you know, picture, picture them in your mind, picture the circumstances that there was an offense. Um, there was a debt, there was a deception. There was, there was something, there was, there was something they did you wrong. Now, ideally, ideally, it's something that is entirely their fault. I mean, if it's 50-50, you know, if that's the best you can do, then fine. But, but try and think of something where it's really, you know, it's overwhelmingly their fault. And maybe there's a tiny bit of a blame to go around. But, but, you know, it's really on them. And, and think of it, think of a situation where they don't have an excuse. Because, you know, if they've got an excuse, the right thing to do is to excuse them, right? You know, you couldn't help it because of whatever, right? So think of something where they just flat out hurt you and they have no excuse. So so think of a situation like that. So so if you can picture a situation like that in your mind, what I'd like you to do now is close your eyes and imagine dropping it. Okay, just walking away from it, turning your back, letting it go, um, just take that memory, walk to the edge of the garbage can and drop it into the garbage can. That is what forgiveness is. The, the scripture talks about forgiveness using an accounting term. It's a, it's a word that literally means to release or to let go. And, and so that's, it's, it's that simple. Now, it's not easy to forgive. The, the problem with it is it's, it's incredibly easy to, to understand. It's not a hard concept. But the problem is, it's hard to do. And yet at the same time, what choice do you have? You know, oftentimes, the, the thing that came to your mind just now was probably something where there's really nothing they can do. You know, the marriage is over. The, the, your childhood is behind you. You know, you don't need the money now the way you did when they took it. Um, you, you know, there's, there's nothing that anybody can do at this point to repay the debt. So the the idea of forgiveness is that there are debts that can't be repaid. And when when a debt can't be repaid, all you can do is to forgive it. One of my favorite quotes about forgiveness is forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. It's this idea that the past is behind me and there's nothing now I can do about the past except to forgive. And so our first point, we forgive because we can't fix the past. 
And that isn't a sign of our weakness. That's just the way the past works. God cannot fix the past. We read in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, they commit the first sin. They eat the fruit that they had been forbidden to eat. And God comes to them and says, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the fruit, the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? God says, I can't fix the past. That God has to deal with the consequences of their sin. But even God cannot somehow, you know, wave a magic wand. You know, God is not whatever, uh, Thanos or whoever. He cannot, he cannot go backwards in time and fix the past because that's not the way the past works. So we understand this. This is not a Christian thing. That, that it's just the way the past works. Is there's nothing you can do about it except let it go. And so we see this not just in churches, we see it in pop culture. Um, so sometimes there are offenses, people people hurt your feelings or whatever, uh, they tell you to go on too many dates or whatever, and all you can do is shake it off. Um, or some of you have children or grandchildren, and you know this story, right? What do you do? What do you do? You you let it go. But But there's a danger. If you're familiar with the uh, Frozen movie, and if not, you may have grandchildren someday, so um, I don't want to spoil it for you. But but when Elsa sings that song that she just will keep singing, (laughs) she's not in a great place. I mean, she's really not in a good place. That's not a happy song. It's somebody who has been wounded and who's hurt other people and who flees off to be by herself. In fact, when I first saw Frozen, I was put in mind of the book The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. In his, in his imagination, he tells a story of, of a holiday that people in hell have, and it begins in hell, and hell as C.S. Lewis uh, envisions it is not some inferno with, with uh, flames and sulfur. It is a great big shabby town. It's ugly and it's sprawling, and the reason it's sprawling is because people can't stand each other there. And they just keep moving further out. They go off into the mountains and sing, let it go, maybe. So, so that's the problem, is that, is that it's so easy to change, let it go, to let you go. To change it from, I'm going to shake it off, to shake you off. And we eventually find ourselves isolated for other people. We, we say, you know what, I don't need people like you, because I'm just, you know, I'm going up to the mountains. The cold never bothered me. And if it bothers you, that's your problem. So enough enough with the uh, the current references. For some of us boomers, I'll reference another one. The danger is that we can become a rock. We can become an island. And a rock feels no pain. That is the danger with the type of forgiveness that is simply letting things go. That is simply saying, forget it. I'm going to move on. I'm going to drop it. What I want to talk about instead is the kind of forgiveness that Jesus illustrates. So, um, so we read in um, our uh, so so um, so the type of Jesus, the type of uh, forgiveness that Jesus illustrates. So, and that is reconciliation because it's not oriented toward the past; it's oriented for the future. It's true. There's nothing I can do about the past. The past is behind me. I can't fix the past. But the question is, what is the future going to look like? Is the future going to look like a gray, shabby town where I've moved as far as I possibly can from my neighbors? Is it going to be an ice castle up in the mountains? Or is it going to be in relationship with people who have in the past hurt me? 
because that is what reconciliation is all about. Reconciliation is the kind of forgiveness that God um, does, the kind of forgiveness that Jesus illustrates. It's forgiveness that says, it's true, you have hurt me. You have hurt me and you have no excuse, but I am going to forget it. I'm going to move beyond it and everything between us will be the same as it was before. I will never hold it against you. That's the kind of forgiveness that Jesus illustrates. We see it in the the scriptures. Isaiah, uh, uh, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah. God says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. This is the kind of forgiveness that the prophet um, is able to, to teach us about God. The prophet Jeremiah says, or speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. And the apostle Paul in the New Testament quotes these, uh, gives us these words that we quote at so many weddings. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. This is what reconciliation is about. So what I want to do is look at the way Jesus illustrates this. So we read in our scripture, Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later. Now I mentioned to the children, Jesus has been on a little healing uh, circuit. He's gone to a bunch of nearby villages and he's healed a bunch of people. So the word is spreading around. And when he comes back to Capernaum, the word has gotten out. Hey, Jesus is back in town, so people press in on him. There's a crowd trying to hear what he's got to say. And my guess is they wanted to see what he was capable of doing because they missed it uh, when he was back in Capernaum before. So they press in on him. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Now the man doesn't tell us what he's looking for. We never hear what the man has to say. So we don't know, but it's probably not what a lot of people were expecting. It may not be what this man was expecting. Mark doesn't tell us. Um, this this story is recounted in uh, uh, two other biographies of Jesus, so so it's not told us in any of them what it was the man was hoping for. And Jesus is about to demonstrate he can look into people's hearts and see what they're thinking. So maybe Jesus is responding to the deepest desire of this man's heart. Maybe the reason this guy is paralyzed is because he got into a chariot accident. He was drinking and driving, and he ran his chariot into somebody else and killed them. And he's been walking around with that guilt, or not walking around. He's been carried around with that guilt ever since the accident. Maybe Jesus gives him exactly what he needs to hear most of all. I don't know. It doesn't say. But if that's what that man was looking for, it's not what the crowd was looking for. The crowd obviously wanted to see if he could be healed. And we know that there were people in the audience who were outraged when they heard Jesus say that. Some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. The reason for that is that Christians believe, and, and Jews who, who taught it to us believe that God is a party to every sin. That, that when, when I injure you or when you injure me, there is a third party in that, in that injury, and that is God. 
that that we believe every wrongdoing is God's concern. I can forgive you. If you hurt me, I can forgive you, but we're not done yet. You and I may be straightened out, but there is a third party that has to be dealt with, and the sin cannot be said to be fully forgiven until God forgives it. So only God can forgive sins. That's that's the difference between an injury and a sin, is the injury becomes a sin because God is concerned. And the reason for that is that God cares about his children. There's a story in the book of Genesis about a slave girl named Hagar, and she's been mistreated by her mistress. And so she runs away. And God sends an angel to speak to her. And the angel says, go back home. And we can question that, and particularly, I think, in the light of the New Testament, we can question whether that's that's a good thing to do with uh, with a runaway slave. Um, but in that context, it seemed to be what what Hagar was expecting to do, because we see what Hagar says. Hagar doesn't say, "I can't believe God sent me back to my mistress." What she says is this: she says that God is the God who sees me. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. What's so remarkable about that is that Hagar is a girl. She's a, she's young in a, in a society that doesn't care about young people. She's a woman in a society that doesn't care about women. She's a slave in a society that is more class-oriented than we can imagine. And she's a foreigner. She's an Egyptian. She has four strikes against her. And God sees her. God saw what had happened, and God sends her back and says, I've got my eye on you, I know what's going to happen, and trust me, you're going to get through this, and not only that, your son is going to become a great man. He will become a hero to nations. So she says, who knew? Who knew that God could see me? And that's true of everybody you ever injure, and it's true of you when they injure you, that God is a party to that injury. That's why we see in the Psalms, it says things like this. Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Why is that? It's because God says, I care about them. And I'm authorizing you to act on my behalf to advocate for them. Somebody has to uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. And so I'm authorizing you to do it on my behalf because I, God, am concerned when any of my children are injured. That's why we see in the Proverbs, it says, those who mock the poor insult their major, their maker. Those who rejoice at the misfortune of others will be punished. That even schadenfreude, who has never felt just a little bit of schadenfreude? It's like, good, he finally got what's coming to him. Even that, God says, is illegitimate because his concern is for both parties in every circumstance. So we cannot forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. That's what Jesus understands. That's what they mean, is that there's a third party here. A third party is involved. Maybe they know. Maybe this guy was in a chariot accident. I don't know. Maybe they know exactly why his sins should not be forgiven, why God should hold on to those sins. But Jesus knows what they are thinking, even though we don't. So he asks them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? He's saying, is the thing I've just said any harder than doing a miracle? You all came here to see miracles. 
is what I just said any harder than doing a miracle? Of course it's not any harder. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And he turns to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. So I ask again, what was it that stunned the onlookers? Was it that this man was healed? Or that God forgives? They were all amazed and praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this before. I have to think at least part of their surprise was that they believed, as so many of us do, that God really doesn't forgive sins, that God hangs on to our sins. And the reason we make excuses for our behavior is we don't believe God is really going to forget, that God is really going to remove it as far as is the east from the west, that we have to make up excuses. We have to say, well, the reason I did that is because, and no, no, um, that, that, it's really her fault. It's really their fault. Because we don't believe God is actually a God who forgives. But Jesus came to demonstrate God's forgiveness. We read in Romans, this is what Jesus did in his own life. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We read it in John. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he was still carrying out this mission. He came to his disciples and said, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I am giving you the same mission, to demonstrate God's forgiveness in the world. We may say, well, that's not easy, Jesus. Jesus breathes on them. He says, I'll help. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. If you're not a church person, if you're not a Jesus person, if you're still trying to figure out what you think about God and Jesus, maybe let it go is the best you can do because you shouldn't carry that thing into this new year. Whatever it was, go ahead, leave it behind, and maybe that means you've got to go up into the mountains and build yourself an ice castle. Maybe you have to be a rock who feels no pain. But if you are a disciple of Jesus, you have the mission, and you are promised God's help in being a reconciling community, being part of God's reconciling community, the church, that if we forgive others' sins, they are forgiven. And if we do not, they're not forgiven. They will never believe that God forgives sins. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, all of this, all of this, what is all of this? He says, new creation, the fact that God is renewing the world and he's renewing us one believer at a time. He says, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, more than mere abandonment of gripe, but reconciliation after the injury. This is the mission of the church, to be the kind of forgivers that Jesus demonstrated about God. People who forget the injury, who truly forget it, and make things 
insofar it is possible for us to make things exactly like they were before, to truly let it go, to truly shake it off. This is what we are called to do. And Jesus said he would help. One of the ways he helps is with the meal he gave us. We read in Matthew's biography of Jesus that he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So let us be that reconciling community in our own relationships and in the way we relate to the world as Christians. Let us demonstrate that God is not a God who hangs on to sins, that God doesn't treasure them up waiting to, waiting to lower the boom someday, that God is a God who forgives, and that from Adam and Eve forward, God has always been about reconciliation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you do take our sins and remove them as far from us as the east is from the west. Lord, help us to demonstrate that kind of forgiveness in our own relationships and as we present you to the world as your disciples. We pray it through Christ our Lord and counting on his hope, his help. Amen.